Hey everybody, welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is the jam because it is not a meal plan service. It is a fresh pre-measured ingredient delivery service. They make fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes appear at your door. Skip trips to the grocery store. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. I like HelloFresh for a couple of reasons. One, you can choose from super healthy cooking to delectable gourmet options to vegetarian options. There's something for everybody. The recipes are tested and designed by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure not just deliciousness, but also simplicity. I also like that they save me from wasting food. Like whenever I want to try something new, I inevitably have to buy some big jar of spices or bigger uh, container of ingredients than I need to make this one recipe, especially if it's just me and Hannah. If I say, HelloFresh, send me ingredients for meals for two, I have exactly the right number of ingredients to make these meals and there's no food waste. Like packaging waste, yeah, okay, packaging waste is bad, but to me food waste is worse because food waste, it's it literally, it, it could be feeding somebody and you hate wasting that kind of stuff. You hate wasting money on it and you hate the idea of throwing away food because, because you don't need it anymore. You don't want it to go bad. HelloFresh eliminates that. They offer 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, constantly rotating. You could pause it if you're going out of town or if you want to go out to dinner that week. And it's over 30% cheaper than shopping in grocery stores with pre-portioned ingredients that ensure you won't spend money on excess food that ends up going in the trash. I also like it because... It allows me to learn new recipes, like choosing a new recipe from books or worse, the internet. It's hard. How do you know what you're feeling like? But with HelloFresh, they show you the photos, they give you the options, and then you make it, you keep that recipe in your repertoire for later if you want to go back to it. It's really good. I like HelloFresh a lot, and it saves me time. All the HelloFresh stuff I've made has never taken more than 40 minutes start to finish. It's really, really good. So go to HelloFresh.com slash smoking tire 14 and then use code smoking tire 14 for up to 14 free meals including free shipping hellofresh.com slash smoking tire 14 code smoking tire 14 for up to 14 free meals including free shipping that's why hellofresh is america's number one meal kit we're also brought to you long-term styles by Dylan Optic sunglasses. Those amazing sunglasses you see me and Zach wearing in every single video. I was just at the Audrain Concours and so many people wanted to try on my Dylan. Like, oh, those are the glasses. What are they like? I want I want to see what they're like. And uh, when they see the matte finish lenses, they know there's immediately something different about them. But it's not just a different look. The glass is excellent. NIR technology, double polarizers in the lens. They're durable. They are really, really good at fighting glare, fighting bright light, and they have exceptional clarity uh, assembled in Scottsdale, Arizona, and they're customizable. You choose your frame, you choose your matte lens color, and you're almost guaranteed to not see someone else out there wearing the same pair of Dylans as yourself. If you go to thesmokingtire.com, we've got a page there that says Partners on it. Click on the Partners tab, and there's the Dylan banner. That'll take you there. They'll know we sent you over 
over there and they will send you a free smoking tire t-shirt for supporting the people who support us so just go to the smokingtire.com click on that partners tab in the dylan banner and get yourself a pair of dylan optic sunglasses hell Get yourself two. If you get yourself two, we'll send you two T-shirts. Get yourself three, we'll send you three T-shirts. That's how it works. Dylan Optics Sunglasses, the official eyewear of the Smoking Tire Podcast. Of course, we're also brought to you by Off the Record, OTR, baby. Don't buy into the ecosystem that begins when you get a ticket and ends when eight years later it finally comes off your record and your insurance premiums go back down. Getting a ticket is more than just paying a fine. The state knows, the insurance company knows, and they're going to charge you for that over and over and over again every time you get an insurance premium bill. They're going to say you're a dangerous driver, a danger to society. might be total bullshit, folks. So stay out of the system with Off the Record. Off the Record is not a lawyer. Off the Record is a service that connects you to qualified attorneys in all 50 states, covering 97% of the population of the United States. They have an incredible track record. And if they don't succeed in getting those points off your record by fighting that ticket for you, by appearing in court for you, that's right, you never have to go to court. You just call off the record. They handle it all for you. And if they don't get those points off the record, you don't pay them. It's that easy. It's a guarantee, right? And they have an extremely high success rate in terms of keeping those points off of your record because it's more than just the fine of the ticket. It's a whole ecosystem that depends on you pleading guilty, not knowing that there's a better way. So go to offtherecord.com slash TST or download the Off The Record app and use code TST10 to get 10% off all legal services booked through Off The Record. No matter how many times you use them, no matter how long you use them for, 10% off TST10 on the app or offtherecord.com slash TST. TST. Friends don't let friends plead guilty, folks. Don't plead guilty. Use off the record. Keep those points off your record. Keep yourself on the road. Keep your insurance premiums low. OTR. Uh, and of course, if you don't want to listen to me reading ads anymore, one of the best ways to do that is to join our Patreon. Become a patron over at patreon.com slash the smoking tire podcast with three different levels of membership that allow you access to our live streams, an ad-free listening experience, and a special pro driver only ninth podcast a month. Unique content, ahead of time content. Also, you don't have to wait till Tuesday, Thursdays to get the show. You get the shows right after we're done recording them. They go straight up. Patron patrons get them first. And all you have to do to skip the ads, skip the line, and get access to our live stream, being able to ask us questions on the show, is become a patron at patreon.com slash the smoking tire podcast. All right, folks, on this episode of the show, legendary guitar player Tosa Nabasi is joining us. Uh, he is the, according to Guitar World magazine, the 97th best guitarist of all time. He is a sports car enthusiast. He is a virtuoso with his instrument. He's an instrument manufacturer with his gorgeous Abasi Concepts guitars featuring seven or eight strings. They're really wild. And um, he's a buddy of our uh, of our good friend Misha Mansoor. Uh, they go out and drive sports cars together all the time. I've interacted with him on Instagram a few times. I really look forward to hanging out with him on the show in person. It's uh, Tosin Abasi, legendary guitarist on the Smoking Tire podcast. You know what I'm obsessed with is what? your 
crazy eight string guitars. Oh really? Their concepts guitars. Those yeah, are like yeah. those are so. Oh look, Zach's ready with the pictures. Ah, okay. This is annoying, but I hate I, this photo. Is like, oh really? Got to update your website. I've told our guy. I just think the <laughs> angles don't do it. You know, the, the pictures on your Instagram look really good. And Instagram's good. down. And Instagram is fucking down. Yeah. So it, we can't do it. it yeah. Yeah. The show is being recorded on the day that social media took a little snow day. Yeah. yeah. We have our... Zuck was like, oh, y'all going to go on 60 Minutes and talk shit? I'm just going to fucking turn it off. The whole thing off. Off? So it's Facebook and Instagram. Yes. And WhatsApp. WhatsApp, WhatsApp being down is probably disrupting global communication, honestly. Yeah. I don't like, use it that often, but I know internationally it's the preferred. Like, whenever I, t I, t I hate fucking WhatsApp. And whenever I talk shit about it, anyone that listens to our show in another country is like, but we need it. You don't yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. But for us, it could just be like a little vacation, except that we don't get to show your Instagram photos on this particular show. Yeah. Well, there, there's other, if you, there's other. We can find it. The Google machine still works. Until there's a Google whistleblower tomorrow, Google oh goes down and we're all fucked. That's unthinkable. I know. It's just... I know. There's like three companies that have the keys to the internet. Yeah. It's a weird de facto dependence on private companies that have integrated our entire ways of life yes. that are outside of... Government. Democrat. Yeah. yeah. They're it's bigger than... Gov they're bigger than country governments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the, I read a lot of people who talk about this stuff, and we're in big trouble. We're in something. Because <laughs> it's always like, uh, I think it's happening in real time. Yeah. And who's who's steering the ship? Yeah. And then, yeah, it's kind of like we need like like weird like philosophers. There's like all this moral philosophy. Like, yeah. Especially like even when it comes to self driving cars and like. Have you heard of all these like moral problems the car would have to solve? A hundred percent. And I don't even you know kill what's crazy? the driver or the family. On you the know car. what's crazy? Yeah. I don't think for the people developing the cars that that's even a question. I think it's like nope, run the fucking pedestrians over. Really? Yep. You think they're? I think they're fucked. I think the I, I honestly, especially if you if you look at some of the recent uh, full self driving beta v whatever videos. Mm. I don't think the pedestrians are much of a concern. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it's, it's worrying. It's very worrying. Well, do you see the thing, um, like the reward system they built in? Yeah. And, it, and you know, so it's like Tesla will call you a better driver if you don't brake aggressively. And someone's like, yeah, if I ran yellow lights or if I avoided this pedestrian instead of stopping, it was giving me a higher uh -huh. score. A friend of mine has a Tesla. He's like, I use it. That's exactly how it works. And then people commented in the Twitter thread, they had one of those progressive boxes. And they're like, same thing. Like, it, because it doesn't know why you're slamming on the brakes, yeah. it just sees that as a risky maneuver. You know so the progressive thing? Better. Have you seen that thing? They, Remember that? It tracks your driving for like yeah, the better driver reward, yeah. reward program. In theory, they lower your insurance rates for being a better driver. Right. But it's you're just giving them all of your driving data. Right. It's like right. full on tracking. But so Tesla has this built into cars now. So if you want to get the, the full self-driving beta, you have to apply for it, and it does this thing where it tracks your driving for a week, and it gives you this score based on like your smoothness of your driving and blah, blah, blah. But there's ways to game the system, and everyone is gaming the fucking system. And so, like, one guy was talking about how he got his score to go up by driving around the block four or five times before getting home. Another guy was talking about how 
he could have slammed on the brakes to stop a, a light that turned red, but by blowing through it and not touching the brakes, he got off. Yeah, and you <laughs> think they have their? Wouldn't, shouldn't their cameras? Like, shouldn't their cameras notice that red light? Oh uh, yeah, right. That's the problem. Yeah. It's not. It's not great. Fortunately, you you got you brought in one of the most fabulous analog driving experience cars and money can buy the McLaren 720s 720s it's the fucking it's the best I mean it's probably the best sports car in the market at any price right now yeah I I think it's an achievement mm-hmm I think it represents you know that like we were promised jetpacks sort yeah. of thing like <laughs> yeah I feel like the 720s I was I was at Newcomb's yesterday there was this old dude celebrating his birthday and he wanted to sit in the car uh-huh. and then he started walking around he's like there's not a single straight line on this car anywhere there aren't yeah it's it's really really cur- and curves are expensive they straight are straight lines are cheap and curves are expensive exactly to yeah. manufacture and i was thinking to myself this car it looks like it was 3d printed or something it, the, the, the design language to me seems like just kind of like kind it's of very sculpted yeah 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 so, and it drives like a fucking prototype car in mode X and then like a Rolls Royce in mode B. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's got the biggest like spread of comfort to performance. You know, it's amazing. But it's funny because I watched your 720S like when, when it first came out. Yeah. And you were all about the car, but it did McLaren things, right? You're like, it's, it wouldn't, it, the launch, like to say yeah. it's some, and so I avoided that car Fully knowing how amazing it was, but like I think there was a disproportionate like attention on like the things that can or do go wrong. So with McLaren. what McLaren does with because they're still a very small company that doesn't have as many resources as one might think for a company selling four hundred thousand dollar cars. They use early development cars as press cars, oh. and so the they and they stick and those cars stick around in the fleets for like a little longer than other manufacturers like a Ford or GM or even a BMW or uh, Porsche would mm-hmm. and so you have these issues that typically get resolved by the time you know it's a year or so into production of the car um, but the journalists will experience them because they're still driving these really early build cars it's almost like your beta testing we <laughs> Except for we don't know that Washington. Like, well, oh. you, you, I'm telling you now, and I, I've said it in some other videos, but that is what happens. And so your car is not like a 17, right? Is no, it? it's 19. Yeah, so by the time they got to there, yours is like fine, right? It's sorted. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I got stress cracks in the windshield. But. Do you? Really? They, <laughs> yeah. replaced, a bunch, that, they yeah. replaced a lot of windshields. Yeah, they have rigid, that. that rigid carbon, right? No, it's just really thin Help glass. I don't understand that part. <laughs> it's just really like, thin glass. Move, right? Yeah, it's both things. It's thin glass, but then the rigidity of the tub is supposed to be like, oh, we can use glass everywhere. <laughs> but it's but not so like. Much. Is it not as rigid as they expected, or is it shaking so much that it's cracking the thin glass? I mean, I, I don't know. And the, the stress cracks start from like the eight pillars. Like they go. It's like okay, very obvious. Really? Yeah, it's not like emerging from somewhere else. <laughs> it's like directly. so. That's the stress. Okay, so that's yeah, the pressure point. Yeah, so I point. feel like oh maybe. So oh, interesting. That car's funny because I'm still trying to connect with it, and I don't know, like, interesting. I don't know if okay. I, I part of me was like, foundationally, the McLarens depart from traditional cars in so many ways, like that hydraulically crosslinked suspension yeah. thing. Like, there's no body roll. Yeah. Or vert. I mean, you got to be 
Pretty There's no the body roll, but also it can it absorbs bumps really well, which is yeah, wild. Yeah, it's that thing you're talking about where it rides like it rolls, but yeah. then it also. But like I'm, I guess I'm. I had an Audi R8. I had like a 2010, mm-hmm. and that was it. Was like a fast GT car. Yeah, those are great. They are. They're comfy. They're you, nice. You feel. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then um, I had a 488. Okay. Very briefly. Your review of that car actually motivated me. Oh, really? I was like, this was many years ago, but he really likes this I car. I did really <laughs> like that car. Did you Did you like it? I did, but I felt like it had a GT suspension and that it sh- kind of shouldn't have. Okay. You wanted something a little more gnarly? Yeah, and I was at the point of, like, I was going to buy, like, a KW full, like, two, oh, three-way stupid. On a Ferrari? I mean, great. <laughs> no, no, <bro>. great. <laughs> that would have been interesting. I yeah. Mean, it might have, it would have changed the dynamics for sure. Dude, yeah. Joey yeah. Seeley just put KWs on an F40. I saw that. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. all done. Yeah. yeah. Well, that car, I bet if you drive an F40 today, it would be shockingly soft. Yeah. You know, so. That's the thing. And I feel like Ferrari might have this issue with, like, the primary use case for their cars is, like, dudes kind of, like, Cruising, yeah, yeah, and then I'm like going to Chuck Walla, like, man, I don't know, I need to do, <laughs> yeah, because the braking performance on that car was also a little like, I don't know, I, I'm not here to just like talk. No, yeah. you're, you're, you can talk about cars. This is it? Okay, this is real? I don't know the politics about like none. There are no of, politics. Well, you're, they wouldn't ever the fuck. So. You're a customer. Ah, yeah. that's true. And I say whatever I want. Yeah. I, I drove the F8 and I gave it a very lukewarm review. Ah. I thought the F8 was a lot of money for something that was basically the same product as the 488, which was an awfully similar product to the 458. Right, right. You know, and they I said that shit and I put the review out. It's fine. Yeah, I saw your spider review. Yeah. Yeah. The, so I guess for me, it was like all those things I mentioned, like the suspension and the braking performance and the steering feel. It's interesting. Very I had light. Yeah, and I had no Ferrari experience. It was a brand that I felt like the culture was just I don't know, man. Like just nightmares about depreciation and like all sorts of things. In like, Ferraris? Yeah, this is like I'm like outside looking in oh. like as a noob just being like, "Oh, wow, people who have these cars, they don't really drive them, and if you do, they tank and mm. And so I was just kind of like, wasn't perceiving them as like, it's not like buying a GT3 and feeling fine about like, you know what I mean? Using it a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it was kind of like intimidating, but um, I saw your view and then I test drove one. I was shocked. The 488, it's got a ton of grunt. Yeah. And it's really balanced. And I was like, damn, this thing's awesome. But um, over time I realized the Ferrari steering is not the most like, Communicative. It's a really mm-hmm. fast rack, but it's like it's very light. Totally Too light. Yeah. Really light. Yeah. Yeah. So when I I drove Misha's 720s Spider, and I was like, this steering feels it feels like a 997 GT3 or something. Well, the reason like so McLaren so still good. uses hydraulic steering. Okay. And Ferrari uses electro steering. Okay. So it's it's McLaren really prides themselves on. Even though all this other shit in the car is so advanced, they are sticking to that hydraulic steering because they think it feels better. And I think you agree without even really knowing why you agreed. Yes. Yeah. They're right about that. Yeah. Um, so with Ferrari, the secret is you're right in that the very low mile cars, you know, hold their value really well. Mm-hmm. But Ferrari also wants to call your bluff by offering you this seven year unlimited mile on un- uh, maintenance pro- and warranty program. Mm-hmm. Right. So. They also, yes, they depreciate if they're driven, but there's a floor. 
and the floor is still really high compared to like an AMG or uh, you know another uh, another German luxury cars. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily GT3, but 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 let's say a turbo, right? So yeah. if you bought a brand new 488 and in seven years put sixty thousand miles on it. Just fucking reckless a bit, you know. You'd have the warranty, the free maintenance, and the floor is still like two hundred and fifty grand. Right. So you got to push through that middle, <laughs> that middle level, yeah. and really abuse their warranty and maintenance program. Yeah. And then you actually have, in terms of depreciation versus miles driven, it's it's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. So so you want to buy one of those and just daily it for seven years. That and put nice. a million miles on it, and they will actually hold up pretty good. And the value is higher because I know guys who run rental car companies, uh-huh. so I know what the fucking floor is for a seventy thousand or eighty thousand mile four five eight or four eighty eight, uh-huh. and it's shockingly high. Still, yeah, it's shockingly high. That's really cool. So that's the move. Yeah, I love the overcorrection with the seven year extended. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the other thing, like. Total noob thinking, okay, Ferrari, what do I know about Ferrari? Well, engine outs are... I mean, look, this not is the me new not ones. even understanding yeah. like, the generational Yeah, they don't need that like, anymore. I know. Yeah, 2010 these, and up, they're they're really reliable cars, actually. Well, I started looking into it, and yeah, that the, the, the engine in the 48s won all these awards. And yeah, it's, it's like, stout as hell, and the gearboxes don't break. Yeah. They're good. The car was great. Yeah. It kind of felt its weight, especially compared to like the 720S. Which, it just hides its whatever weight it does. I mean, it's like a thirty-one hundred. It's really car. light. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to the point where I had to get used to the feel of the car in the corners because of how flat it corners and how light it is. Mm-hmm. There's a level of like relearning, like feedback. Because yeah. mm-hmm. the brakes are different too. You, you yeah. have to get used to that really firm brake pedal feel. Yeah, yeah. But dynamically, that fucking thing rules. It does. It rules. Do you guys feel like the McLarens? Because there's certain cars that are talked about, and it's almost like they're greater than the sum of their parts. So like yes. Ferraris yes. And, and Porsches. Mm-hmm. Do you feel McLaren, like we know the performance objectively, but do you feel like it, yes, it I do. gels to give Absolutely. you that thing? I feel oh, like that is so? one of the best ICE cars that will ever be made. Yeah. And has ever been made. I have specifically I've been taking 720s yeah, no, to track days, and they are, it's like a cheat code. Yeah. I mean, I took one to Auto Club Speedway. I saw you were blowing past everybody. <laughs> Bro, I'm passing like four or five cars on the front straight. I saw 182 miles an hour on the front straight in that fucking thing. That was the Spider too. That was like not even the fast one. And the 765 is like, that's where I go, wait, you fucking sell this to people? Like you just <laughs> let someone buy this? Cause that's got a close ratio gearbox. Like right. that doesn't need that at all. <laughs> and you're blowing the tires off the top of third or fourth gear. It's really, really so is it crazy. up on torque? Is that just from the gearing? That just can- from the gearing. It has more more torque, but also the the short it has fifteen percent shorter gear ratios, which is in something like that is just so insane. Wow! It's not to me. It's not actually desirable. It's like too far over. Oh, so it exceeds your sweet yeah. I'm spot. like ah no. I mean, I mean, if I like it, but it's like fuck me. Someone's gonna <laughs> fucking send this thing off a cliff, you know, dude. But, yeah. Okay. But they're so they're I don't need so. And also, the seven six five loses a little bit of that magical ride mm-hmm. um, which I love so much because you could do a thousand miles in a 720 and it's comfy yeah it's very comfortable yeah I, I told myself I would like the next car I got to drive would have to be like 
enough of an event or hardcore enough to where I wouldn't want to daily it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that with the 720. You did not. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but that's some of the magic is the duality of that car. It's like it really is, I think, so exciting to drive fast because of, of the steering feedback and because of the, of the suspension, the brake pedal and everything about it. And then you slow down and you just set it into normal. And it's so fucking comfortable. It's that suspension setup. Even with Ferrari has Magride, which is very, very good. But this mm-hmm. is just another level. And I mean, all of those things are just phenomenal. It's just a little bit above other cars in every category. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do and even it? like the narrow door sills makes and the and the cutouts and the ceiling, they make it just super easy to get in and out of and just like use it for stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like no big deal. I've been dailying it. Good. You should. You absolutely should. No yeah. reason you couldn't. I don't Isn't it it would wouldn't it be lame if like the the companies went through all this trouble to make these supercars so easy to drive and then you like don't do that? <laughs> they cuz they have started doing that. Yeah. I remember when a G- I remember the 997 GD3 was out, and it was just like, there were those who dailyed them. Like, and it was like this crazy thing. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. But now I feel like everything in that category, yeah, I mean, save for a few cars. Yeah. It's not a badge of honor anymore. No. It's almost like the consumer demands that. It's almost like the car would take a hit if you couldn't totally fit enough luggage or, or drive it. Like, yeah. Because people want to use them as regular cars. Which yeah. is weird on one hand. It may it does it does make you a little bit less, <clears throat> you know, if you're if you're driving one. Yeah. You know, you don't. It doesn't mean you're you're not like a hero, you know, yeah. just for driving one. But at the same time, you know, I have some cars that are not really daily drivable, yeah. and you know, I'm I don't I don't daily drive them because <laughs> I'm like, ugh, I don't want to do that. It's fucking annoying. It's actually labor to. Yeah, it kind of is. Huh. And it's not like physical labor, it's like mental labor. Yeah. It's like I, I freak out about it sometimes. Like yeah. with my Kuntosh. Well, or the Ferrari like, doesn't have air conditioning. I mean, that's, The Ferrari that's does not have air conditioning yeah. and it's very hot. No yeah. air conditioning? My 86 Ferrari does not have air conditioning. No, it doesn't. My Lamborghini does and it works. Does it? Yeah. Is that car here? No, it, it's broken. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, what mildly broken. They had, I had like an electrical issue, so I took it to my, my guy who fixed it. It was running fine, and then it just turned off. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it, and uh, so in, in fixing that issue, he found some mildly janky engineering that someone had done at some point in like the 90s, probably, mm. uh, or early 2000s when Countach was really, really worth anything. And so just some like non-factory wiring. Right, right. And there was some like remnants of like a stereo that someone put in there at some point. The corpse of a Yeah, stereo. a corpse of fucking some beats. And he just show, sent me this picture of like a ball of wires. And he was like, I found this. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, what does that do? He's like, eh, wasn't connected to anything. It's just there. I'm just like, in the car. Great. So um, I, he said, I have a proposal for you. And I said, okay. He said, what if I take your complete ignition system apart and put it back to 100% factory? And that way you know that this kind of thing won't happen. And I said, okay, go ahead. Is that so, the best option or is there like an upgrade? Not really. Better? I mean, um, the, the folks uh, at Curated in Miami have some of their customers request um, an MSD ignition box 
which they like instead of the original one that I have. But Donnie, my homie, um, he's like, these cars ran fucking great when they were new with the stock shit. They, you know what I mean? Hmm. So there, there's not really a need to do it. It's just that some of the stock componentry is very expensive um, and hard, sometimes hard to hard find. Hard to find. Yeah. So, Are you into the idea of it being completely stock, even down to the electric system and all that stuff? Not for purposes of being some kind of a snobby purist, no. Right. I, I would much prefer... I, I don't care if the part says Lamborghini on it or MSD or whatever, as long as it drives like it's supposed to and works like it's supposed to. It's, I'm, it's not a concourse car. I don't care. But, like, there was some, like, Mickey Mouse Radio Shack shit in there. And, yeah. and he pretty much was like... You know, this one problem is fixed, but if we if we don't go through it, you're you're gonna end up with a car that sooner or later will let you down. And so I'd rather you didn't have that. It's fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. And yeah. and you know, I'm very fortunate that I bought the car at the right time. It's worth significantly more now than it was when I bought it. And so if I have to invest a little bit of money in making it work properly, you know, you're pay, still the, on pay top. the cost to be the boss. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but the car values have gone up yeah the, the demand is a little bro I had, I had a customer that just sold a, a a very average 997 turbo uh for a hundred and sixty five thousand dollars a 997 yeah. wow for 165 yeah and it what? was like yeah and it was like a thirty thousand mile car with only okay paint bro i found one for like, 85 and this was like it was modified in good ways, yeah, and yeah. it was below $90,000. This was a few years ago. A few years so this ago. This is almost that, that car's, Holy yeah, shit. double. I mean, the MSRP of a new turbo is like 180-something. <laughs> so 20, just 20 less for a 97? Uh, uh, stick shift goes a long way these days, Bo. Wow. And I was at, I was just at the Audrain uh, Concours in Newport, uh, which we could talk about more of on the, on the cruise show. But you know, I'm I'm friends with all these sort of independent brokers, and the kind of stuff they're talking about moving at the prices that it's moving at is very, very, very high, wow. very high. So, you know, it's the demand. Uh, the demand is high. The inventory is low. Mm -hmm. And you know, if it looks good, sounds good, and has a manual gearbox, yeah, people want it. I'm so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because my R8, I had the gated the six speed, yeah, and I had a, a Lorini Sports Club. I guess oh, that must have sounded sport. kind of good. It sounded so good. It was a ten or an eight? It was a actually it was a 2012. Oh, so it was a ten. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I meant a V10 or a V8. Oh, yeah. It was a V10. Yeah, yeah. It was the one you want. Well, yeah, the V10 with the stick was the shit. Yeah, yeah. I must have put thirty thousand Canyon miles on that car. Good nice. for you. Good for yeah. you. Nothing ever really happened other than some like minor electronic stuff. But more of the stories I got out of it, uh, probably in like February or something. Oh man! And I didn't. I wasn't that aggressive with what the what I wanted for trade. <laughs> and I've seen these things. Oh no! <laughs> I'm just like I should have just held on because I still like. You can't beat yourself up over this kind of stuff. Okay, I mean, nobody go. knows. I mean, you know what? Nobody knows. Nobody I bet in March you thought you were a genius because everything fell apart, and you're like, I'm glad I got rid of that R8. And then two months later, you're like, Oh shit! No, I mean, you know, no, nobody knows. Yeah. I mean, people, you know. Bro, people, old Ferrari Le Mans race cars were were ten thousand right. dollars. You know what I mean? Right. And and you had to like really love the car at that point to want to get into it because it was old racing junk. Right. You right. know, and and it's just, but you can't you can't can't beat yourself up on that. Do you feel like we're in this moment where 
you should be buying NA cars or manual because essentially like all this product, the, everything's shifting to hybridize and all this stuff. Yeah, I mean it's not going to go back. You know, it, I don't I don't think Ferrari is all of a sudden going to start to make stick shift cars again. I don't think Lamborghini's going to change their mind. I mean, we were just on a Lamborghini program for the STO Huracan mm-hmm. STO, which is rowdy and a, and a, and a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as modern supercars go, it's it's pretty rowdy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not going to decide to make stick shift cars anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Porsche's really hanging on. Aston tried to make a stick shift Vantage for two years. Nobody wanted it. They stu- they discontinued it. But they had trouble on. selling any of them, I think. <laughs> True. <laughs> but, but um, you know, if you're into driving uh, a manual and you don't want to drive something that's super, super old, your your options are it's limited. narrow. Yeah. And so the, all those cars are, they're worth quite a bit of money now because they have a, a small but wealthy and very dedicated audience. Yeah, man. I mean, you could find another one if you want. You I know. know. You, you I'm like literally like... And the R8 is not as crazy as some of the other ones. I mean, the R8's always suffered from the fact that it was an Audi. That was the only bad thing about it, really. And it was good for some, some, in some ways it was good Mm -hmm. because it made it totally like normal and usable and everything. But it makes it very slightly less collectible than a Porsche or a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Totally. Um, which could be good or could be bad, but they're, it's they're they're not as crazy as like nine nine seven GT threes or you know what in twenty years that might change because if th- if you think like the Mira and other like Lamborghini was pretty young when that mm-hmm. shit came out and it had to like grow that reputation and yeah. it wasn't through racing really like, so Audi's done really well in racing mm-hmm. it's just the the audience hasn't really come around to it yet but maybe early 20, Lamborghinis years. were not worth very much right. for a long time especially like the front engine ones like 350 GTs and a spot I mean Espadas were like 50 grand five years ago and now they're 300 right which they shouldn't be but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I think they're you ever fuck with an Espada I don't even know what that you know is. What that Dude, is? oh they're there it's the four seat <laughs> Lamborghini GT car it's like a two-door station wagon really yeah they rule I mean they're oh, they're really yeah, yeah. bizarre looking and uh and and they're kind of ungainly but also kind of cool on the front yeah, Nacaducks, and the back the seat wagon? has like a cr- yeah. The back seat has like so much room too. It's a true like GT car. My friend, uh, my friend Doug, who was one of my hosts this weekend at the Audrain, entered his beautiful Espada Series One uh, in the show, and also brought it to the bar. He drove that bitch right onto the dock. Wow, it was so G. <laughs> yeah, it's nice awesome. when they work. Yeah, cool. It's, they're they're wow. really neat cars. And our friend, Aaron, that <laughs> one, Monte treatment. This one, uh, this one, Zach has a photo of is by a guy in Europe called Danton Arts Customs, who builds really, really insane. So that's a real car. I don't know. I don't know how much of that is real and how much of that is just fabricated up. But it looks fucking nuts. It looks kind of cool. It, it might looks be very cool. The it question could, is, does it start and run? It could be. Yeah. It could be based on a real car. Uh, that guy might have built that at the time that those cars were still reasonably cheap for for a nasty one. But well, there's one down in there. that has got a weird body kit on it and like knockoff wheels. <laughs> oh, oh god, that's weird. <laughs> With the NSX no, wing. That one's back. gone wrong. I think that one's oh, not man. so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, don't beat yourself up. You have an excellent machine outside. It's cool. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm still waiting to like. So yeah, what is it that that you haven't connected with? Um, I don't know if the car is sterile. Like it performs so well, but it does it so. Uh, 
It's a very sordid car. I guess what I'm getting at is, um, a to I think to get the chassis to move around, you got to be going like really quite fast. Yeah. So there's that. The limit is so high. Mm-hmm. And then like, it doesn't have the greatest sound in the world. And like, True. I'm used to cars that like you can you can you can you know when the shift just from like listening to the car. And this is a bit different. Yeah. And then I feel like at the limit that car is a little opaque. There are just it'll do things that like aren't super transparent. Like huh. you're just not. Just like the way the like ESC dynamic works and like it'll you know I guess what I'm getting at is that because it's kind of like high tech, I feel like there's a layer to the car that isn't as straight ahead and mechanical. Have you got if you if you get a chance, like at a you know, a track environment where it's safe, if you've driven it full off, everything off? Only in like turnouts to be like a an idiot. Just I, to see how it I really recommend trying to, to run some laps with everything off. Really? Yeah. Because it's not nearly as scary as you think it'll be. Um, when you do, it doesn't. It it if you if you're progressive on the throttle, but you use your weight transfer to initiate some oversteer at like safe places, like you know the big the big wide hairpin at Streets of Willow mm-hmm. or um, the infield at Auto Club Speedway. There's some some places where you can do it. I have managed to do some very smooth, nice, easy sliding in it, and it didn't bite me in the ass, it didn't do anything weird, it didn't snap back, it was fucking fun, like really fun. Okay. And um, I wouldn't recommend going up in the canyons and going full off just for safety reasons. Totally. Uh, you don't want to fucking go down a couple hundred feet upside down or nothing. But never want to do that. But it, when you, I totally know what you're talking about with mm-hmm. that layer of intervention. Mm-hmm. But you can turn it off, and if you do, it's not as scary as you think it's going to be. Okay. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. You just need to get into the habit of squeezing the throttle like it's a balloon, not stabbing it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you might do in an older like NA car. Yeah, see, that's the other thing because it's the throttle response isn't as linear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like... Turbos. Yeah, so even I, when you're in the the sweet spot of the revs, you do get a, a pretty immediate response. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, that expectation that like linear input gives you the same yeah. response. It's it's not quite there. Yeah. But, you might have to also get a Porsche. Right, I was going to say, are there, are, there, are, there, are there cars in your ownership history or driving experience history that you did connect with? Yeah, the R8. It was was that your first nice car? Yeah, I had a Cayman at like a, uh-huh. what was it, 987? Yeah, they're fun, right? It was great. I was a very shit driver in the car, like... <laughs> the car saved you? Yeah, you could just give it terrible inputs and it was like... <laughs> Yay, balance! <laughs> Yeah, so that was cool, and I actually didn't realize how good of a car it was until like kind of looking back. Uh-huh. But um, that one pretty straightforward and, and mechanical, and then um, the R8 as well. Uh, so I think for me, it might be the the turbo situation, and as well as like the, I mean, the 720s has like an open diff in yeah. the rear, and for instance, like the 488, it's got you know that E diff situation, mm-hmm. and I found that. It was actually this really cool, it was almost like you could steer it with the rear. Like if you gave it throttle with steering input, it would just like aggressively continue that angle of input. Uh And you felt it though, you felt it at the rear. And I feel like the 720S, it doesn't feel as conspicuously, like even though it's a rear wheel drive car, like I don't, 
I don't know if it's intervening at certain points. So I guess I have connected, and the connection might be a degree of how well you can predict the car. Sure. That, that's what it feels like to me. Like, you do something, you know exactly what's going to happen. I'm telling you, you got to try it with everything off. I think it, it, it drives a little different. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see that. Try it. And, and fucking do it in the canyons. Just don't, like, send it. You know what I mean? It's not going to... I got some track It's still got up. crazy, oh. crazy grip. It's not going to, like, jump out at you and do something insane. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. It's all, It's not only not getting wheel spin because the traction control's there. Like, your foot helps. Your foot does it, too. Right, <laughs> you right. Know? It's hard. You do, you do wonder with that car, like, is there a wizard behind the curtain that is managing things because it is so clever like I know what you're saying yeah. and we filmed it me and Dio Shahara and he turned it off and drifted the you know the hell out of it I did like a little bit and and he was he got out of it and he's like I really he really liked the car and he was amazed by it but he was like I don't know if everything's off even though he had it in off well, just ever. because of how it felt and it could have just been the way an open diff feels versus you know a normal LSD or something but he just said it felt it felt very unique that's I think it's the diff thing because isn't that a unique feature to like a modern car? For a car of that price point to have an open diff, yeah, is right. unusual. I mean, he's probably driving like cars with welded diffs. I mean, or he's literally like, driving <laughs> formula D cars. Driving, you know, very expensive LSDs. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's a he's, car. He has diffs made designed for him. Really, he's a Formula Drift driver. Yeah, that yeah. guy's sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen right. it. You know, yeah. I mean, but he call they call Quaife or whoever, and they're just like. We need the one that doesn't explode with a thousand horsepower, <laughs> but it's mechanical and you can adjust it and all that stuff. Like that's yeah. what they normally run. Um, a lot of these manufacturers are going with an e-diff type setup that uses a combination of torque vectoring and brake vectoring mm-hmm. to 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 manage it, as opposed to a more traditional, just mechanical LSD. Mm-hmm. With Porsche, uh, a lot of the the manual gearbox cars will have a mechanical LSD, and the PDK cars will have an e-LSD. And so, okay, yeah. and so I recommend the sticks. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I did new new nine eleven GTS with a stick. Very very good. Ooh, the GT three is obviously great. I'm a fan of that car. Although I prefer, I prefer the one Misha's got to the new one actually. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Uh, streetability mainly. Um, the new one's more like hardcore. The new one they have bumped it more to race car. Okay. Um, and and two of the ways they've done that. I find to be less good if you're not on the racetrack. Right. One is a super lightweight flywheel, which makes um, like you know you got to like really feather the throttle. The engine has no weight of its own, uh, no inertia of its own. Is that which, it's better for rev matching? Or? Well, it's 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 better in terms of if you have an engine that makes the same amount of power, but you want it to feel more powerful without making it more powerful. It has less resistance to revving up, so it revs up faster. Mm-hmm. But if you're just creeping around a parking lot or driving in traffic or whatever, it the engine needs a little bit of its own inertia. And I actually stalled it a few times, which okay. is not something I normally do in modern cars because I like. I'm a decent driver. And if you have a PDK, it handles it all. You don't notice it. You only notice it with the stick. Right. Because so, I guess with a, a light flywheel like that, it also drops correct. as quickly as it rises. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And if you are a little quick off the clutch, you can stall it because the engine has less inertia. So I prefer the the last generation one for that. And, and, and it's, the new one's a little dirty. You know, they've mm. got wider front wheels and they've got this new front suspension. And on track, it's like, you know, how do you make a car that's got no extra horsepower go 17 seconds faster around the Nürburgring when you do you do race car shit yeah but that race car shit 
doesn't necessarily translate into your everyday experience. Mm-hmm. And they've taken away some of the beautiful daily usability that I loved out of the, the last GT3. Um, so I think that one is like the fucking perfect one. Okay. Yeah. I feel that. But that's just me. I feel that. I'm not going to shit on anybody who gets the new one. The new one's pretty cool. They look good. Oh, yeah. They look rad. They're, they look They look sick, especially in the touring where they body color paint those nostrils in the front. So you don't, they're not just black nostrils. Oh, okay. Yeah. The touring is like the, I've seen the least amount of photos of the 992 touring. It's the one, it just doesn't have a wing. It just doesn't have a wing and some stuff is painted different. Other than that, it's the same. They have same suspension, same setup, same everything. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I want. All right. Well, you, you, one day you may have. So sell a few more guitars. (laughs) Yeah. So what, what got you into cars originally? Oh, Oh, man. Always? It wasn't an always thing. I, you know, so I used to live in D.C. and we have a good subway system. And I was just like this like kind of hipster artist who was like, cars are stupid, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I didn't need one. Uh-huh. And I just thought that like the direction that we would like evolve societally would like further and further eliminate. I never had a car experience though. That's the thing. And I wonder how many people have never... Like being a quote unquote supercar owner now, like I'll take people out and they're just like, whoa. Yeah. Like the mechanical grip, like all the things that you have in these cars, people rarely experience unless they've been in something like that. I tell people all the time that any McLaren will be the fastest car you've ever been in by like a lot. Well, even like the slow one. I feel you, but I feel like people now, because of Tesla, they would push well, back, and, yeah. and then I'd have to like articulate the differences, right? and it's like, True. Oh, yes. it's not really the same thing, because not all speeds created equal, right? True. Which is another McLaren thing that like part of my brain is stuck on, because like how it makes the speed, mm-hmm. you know. But moral of the story is, car journey uh, didn't really have any real connection with like a real driving experience, and so they weren't like this thing. Design-wise, they always looked cool, but they were always this abstraction, like maybe one day you saw a Lamborghini or you saw a Ferrari. Um, but I actually drove to Alaska at one point with this uh, girl I was dating at the time, and she had a GTI. Really? Or it was just a Golf. And that's, she taught me to drive stick, and we drove from, a, from Georgia to Alaska. Wow. Holy shit, that's a that's a drive. <laughs> yeah. That's almost the longest drive you could one could do in America, pretty Literally, much. I mean, unless you started, you started in, like, in Florida. In Key West. Or yeah. <laughs> so I did that and I was like, oh, these manual transmission cars are like really cool. And the it was a hot hatch and I it was I was like, man, I like this thing. It it, it introduced a degree of enjoying driving that I wasn't used to. Because, sure. Can I ask how old you were at that time? Uh I was like twenty twenty one or okay. twenty two. All right. Yeah. So Mark, Mark, three. I don't know what what version of the Gulf it would be. Um, it's probably what was it like? A, Mark four, maybe. Like a two thousand and. It's probably like a two thousand. Yeah, or Mark 98 four. Or something. Mark four, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up, after all that, I ended up buying a GTI. Okay. And this one was turboed, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but it had hella torque steer and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and the guy had slapped a larger turbo onto it. Oh shit. <laughs> KO four swap, yeah. right? Yeah, always yeah. the KO four swap, right? Yeah, car was a, a mess. I like blew all the valves. It was, like, <laughs> it's terrible. But then I was like, German cars are cool. Six speed manuals are cool, and torque and horse, but like you know. And since that car was like toast, I remember I was talking to Misha, and he was like, "Have you heard of this? Have you seen the Porsche Cayman?" He's like, "It kind of hits the same markers," and. 
they were pretty like affordable at the time too. It was probably 2000, 2012, I think I got one, or 2013. Yeah. Um, it had maybe like 17,000 miles on it or something, whatever. But that was to me the first step into something that was like, I mean, we're talking Porsche steering, yeah. and that mid-engine Mid-engine and. Yeah, and that gearbox. And from there I was just like, okay, cars are great. And I, I went down this rabbit hole of just reading reviews and just trying to understand, because I was afraid of the purchase in a way, and I was just trying to learn about the car, but then I started to read about what people really like liked about it. Mm-hmm. I remember being struck by like the fact that people like wanted it loud and stuff. Were, yeah. I was like, huh, I don't care about that. <laughs> um, but then when I got My the- How times have changed. Dude, it is so funny how much more you can enjoy a car if it sounds yeah. like kind of violent. Do you know how many like <laughs> well, it's you know how many fucking terrible cars people just love because they sound good? So, yeah. Like there's like Triumph TR6s and shit, all these old British Triumph cars. cars. Just people yeah. that are just shitbox fucking British cars from the 60s and 70s that fall apart at one pothole, but they sound like almost Ferrari or Italian like most muscle and, cars, that's yeah, true. Muscle, every muscle yeah, car. Yeah, they sound so aggressive. Yeah. It's interesting that you were into the sound of the car because you know you were obviously pursuing a career in music so for you was it you like did you originally like the sound of the car but you didn't care if it was louder and like amplified or were you just you didn't you weren't that into the exhaust sound period I think it was I had no experience with like working for speed within a power band of like a naturally aspirated car and understanding like the relationship of the sound to like what you're doing with the car and even the, the the type of engine that's in the car. So I guess it was just more of a like, I hadn't had the experience yet to even develop. I mean, I've heard stuff on the road, but I wasn't like, I had never really heard an ex- exotic before, okay. like some, like a, like a, a V10, like, so I guess for me it was more like, I was looking at just like performance on paper yeah and the the sound part is not a thing you can put on paper whether it's like well it sounds good or it doesn't you need sound the good. youtube for that can't yeah. read it in a magazine <laughs> and when i got in the porsche though what i love about porsches and i, and I realized that the first time i drove my first modern porsche mm-hmm. was like the engine didn't feel like it was ever being strained mm-hmm. you know you could wind it up wind it down whatever but like other cars like i grew up driving mustangs which i you know and then the first time i was like oh wait a minute it doesn't feel like it's going to eat itself at 6,000 RPM. Right. You know what it I mean? It feels like it wants to <laughs> like live it there. it wants to be there. Yeah, like a Mustang wants to be idling. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Glub, 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 You know, or like shift the 3,500. Yeah, you know? it's a totally different thing. Yeah. So look, I think what actually, so so I was in the Cayman, and that was stock, and, and it was a great car, and I got the RA because it was like, okay, more cylinders, Yeah. still mid-engine, Yeah. still manual. And it's a good bump up from a Cayman, for sure. Yeah, and the car I got, um, the car I bought was twin turboed. Oh fuck, really? It was a twin turbo RA, and I'm this is uh, I'm gonna embarrass myself on this show, but like, I was like, so the guy wanted, I think he wanted 120 for the car, uh-huh. and I was like, return it to stock, and I'll give you 100 for it. <laughs> <laughs> I paid the guy to return, <laughs> and he's just like. Dude, just buy the car like as is. Like, and I was just like, to me, five hundred plus horsepower was just a category. I was like, I don't care about. Yeah, yeah. I don't want that. I want it to be reliable, mm-hmm. and I don't need that much power. And 
the spec was great. That's why I wanted this car. So he returned it to stock, but the guy who was like undoing the turbos was like, you're going to, you know, I've got this Lorini exhaust. I'll sell it to you for 500 bucks if you want it. And I'll just throw it on. I was like, sure. Bro, when I got this thing back, it was a lot, like, it was basically a straight pipe V10. And that engine's glorious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I probably still have a video, like, I mean, it was setting off car alarms and stuff. <laughs> and I remember I did, like, a, I did, like, a, I got up to third. I did a pull. Yeah. And it was, like, it enhanced the experience of driving that car so much. The fact that it was loud. Yeah. That I almost couldn't buy anything not an A after that. I was just like, dude. This is this is what's up. My this monkey is brain shit. is just yeah. like on right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Flamethrower. Yeah, I mean it's cars that shoot fire are you know better than cars that don't. I mean that's a rule. Yeah, it is. It's just a rule. I didn't make the rule. It just is the rule. Because of that. Yeah. Um, was it okay though? Like when he turned returned it to stock though, it didn't have like any issues from being like turbo, right? It was good. It was good. Yeah, cool. it was. It was fine. Yeah. Whatever happened to the turbo kit? That dude turned around and sold it to someone else for another twenty-five. That dude double dipped for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> what color was it? You like the spec? It was that white. Much? It was like the panda. Uh -huh. Yeah, With the black blades. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I feel like a, the R eight looked good in that. Yeah, in that it spec. does. It did look good in that spec. Yeah. I also like the red with the silver blade. That was kind of a unique okay. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. they're they're, they're, they're really cars. nice cars. I did this fake reality show once for. Um, when Forza Horizon came out, okay, and they had a, this, they put YouTubers and video gamers together to do this supercar road trip across Europe. How did I miss this? Because it wasn't that cool. And in twenty four, it was in twenty fourteen. It was the year the Huracan came out. Okay, and they really wanted the 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 American team, which was me, mm -hmm. to uh, to drive the Huracan mm -hmm. in the thing because it was the, 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 the and I and and but they let me pick whatever car I wanted. And I picked the R8. And they're like, but you don't want to drive the Huracan? I'm like, I'm 6'2", man. Nah. No <laughs> I've been in Lamborghinis before. Like, I'm don't not doing 2,000 miles in this fucking thing. And the R8, I did 2,000 miles in. It was this, the most delightful, comfortable, fast, fun. I mean, I have such a soft spot for R8s. They're so great. Yeah. I feel like... I totally feel you. That that breadth of capability and the yeah. fact that it was like a reliable daily supercar. Yeah. And even the styling, like, you could tell it's a mid-engine car, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like you're getting out of a Huracan, right? I love those things, man. I think mm -hmm. it hits really, kind really of a good. sweet spot. Of, I agree. And they just have enough, like, leg room. You can, like, stretch your legs out I mean, a little I don't bit. have the same problem, but I it's, empathize trust with me, it's a problem. the height, the height It problems. can be a problem. Yeah, I actually... <laughs> Because you, you'll talk about this. You're like, and I fit with a helmet. And yeah. I'll be like, oh, that's, uh, I've never had this consideration. Right. But no, now tall I started and looking fat at people cars. benchmark me. Yeah. They do like, all the time. Fit? Okay. Yes. I, they, people ask, what are your, what are my exact measurements? And they, they benchmark me for <laughs> Which shit. Which seats should I get? Did you say <laughs> Not the, You don't want to get the HR Geiger seats. You know, those like the fucking crazy yeah. ones. They're, they like fully. Yeah. You can't even like see to your no, left. No, right. you know what's funny about those seats? You ever sit in them? No. Are those the ones that are like in the challenge car? Like if you get like a, like a four eight eight challenge Evo or something. So, like, well, so if you get an actual race car, you get a race seat, but but it's not the same as this one. These okay. these seats, I don't I don't even know what. I think they're just called like competition buckets or lightweight buckets or something, and it's uh, that those yeah they look. Like they were designed by some torture chamber person, uh, and they are really very light, um, and they uh, getting in and out of them is 
awful. You have to do yoga to get it's into those seats. It's awful. But once you're actually sitting in them, they're like perfectly ergonomic and your body feels no gravity. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cool once you're in them. But getting in and out of them super, super sucks. Well, okay, so because of what you just described, not the getting in and out, but the feel when in them, mm -hmm. I've been like, dude, I want center seats for my 720. But I'm like... I probably shouldn't say that. I, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I not, would. if you want, not if you want to keep dealing it, man. Because this is sitting in these is like sitting in an open bucket. Like you drop in, literally, and then, and then you just like rotate. And yeah, once you're in, they're great. But if you had to get in, in and out, and you're going to coffee, and you're going to the grocery store, and you're just doing all that stuff, like I will say, they're annoying. better in the seven series cars, like because you can get that same seat in the 600 LT, mm -hmm. which doesn't have roof cutouts. Uh, so now you can't drop in from above. You're you have yourself. to crawl in the opening, and that's terrible. Yeah. Um, at least in the seven series cars with the roof cutouts, you're you can plop in from above right. a little bit, yeah. and that helps a lot. Okay. But still, it's not it's suboptimal for running errands. <laughs> what, I like, what I like about these seats, there's a problem I think with like the Ferrari or the McLaren is the normal leather covered seats are not that comfortable and they also don't feel that special to me. Like the Ferrari seats have really thin leather and thin support, whereas Porsche feels like it holds your body up a lot better. So it just doesn't feel like as high quality a seat and they don't, they don't, they don't feel as special as the rest of the car, which those obviously do. You're so right. Cause so my 488 had like, I guess the comfort seats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was like, These I aren't think they designed, cause you, <laughs> you nailed it. You're like, they're not even that comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So they're not benefiting from that. Yeah. And then, but they don't give you any of the support. And I was like, I feel like they do this on purpose. There's to like to funnel you upwards. Yeah, yeah, they do. Because you, you, they're like, they you do. don't want these seats. No, the they definitely seats, right? do. Yeah. The Ferrari has like four different seats for every for each model. There's really? like the base one, and then there's the adaptive one, and then there's the sport one, and then there's the carbon one. Right. Yeah. Whatever. We know all, now. We all know all right. for yeah. next time. That car's yeah. gone. No regrets. <laughs> no that regrets. car's gone. Somebody Mild else regrets. got that thing. Now. I like the way it put. I like the way it made it speed. They are. They were very fast. Very, they very were, fast car. Yeah, it was not a slouch. It was just a little. And I had a pretty aggressive track alignment. I had like negative two and a half in the. Oh, front. you did. Wow. It transformed oh, nice. the car. Oh, nice. The turn-in was. Ferrari racks are so fast too. It's kind of like. Really yeah. <laughs> you know when they bug you out? You ever, have you tried an eight twelve? I did. You try it when Misha had one for yeah. five minutes. Did you yeah, try it? I did. When you put that steering rack in something where the front wheels are like way over there, mm -hmm. it really bugs you. It's out. weird. The F twelve's like that too. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Misha didn't. She, I, I haven't spoken to him since he got his seven twenty. At least not like at length. But he didn't. I guess he didn't really take to that eight twelve, did he? I think he felt a little. I don't know. This, like the the condition of the car wasn't exactly what he thought it was when uh, he got it, and then I didn't have like a rear camera and like CarPlay oh, and they said like stuff like and I think he, CarPlay and a Ferrari they charge you five grand for I that. know bro <laughs> and mine had it and every time I press that button it's like a physical button too I'm like you don't need a physical button. <laughs> well because there because that system was built on such an old system like that system was built like uh. before CarPlay was a thing. So they had to they had to figure out how to adapt the car play to the old system. Right. They still fucking have that system. The 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 F eight still has that old S system in it. Yeah. They're a little behind the times when it comes to the and that's maybe for the best, because we drove the SF ninety with the touch buttons uh -huh. and it's a nightmare. Oh really? Yeah, it's not good. It's like haptic or something? Yeah, it's bad haptic. Did you drive that car too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, twice. So you can lock those haptic buttons, though. 
they told us that there's an update where you can. Oh, like, really? Yeah, you, they told me when I was in Italy, like you can lock the steering wheel buttons. Oh, which is good. Oh, uh, well, that's good news. Yeah, that's like a major selling point. Yes, they should put that like put on, that a on, wind- the box. on a windshield <laughs> yeah. banner. <laughs> yeah. So you're like accidentally. Me and him both constantly. activated voice command while driving like, and trying to like do in car reviews. Yeah. yeah. It was like, how can Donald we help or... you? And Matt, I left it in. It's hilarious. You're just like. Shut up. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was not good. All right, so. And the Roma has it as well. Okay. Yeah. So SF90, this would be that next tier beyond. I mean, this is like. You know what? You don't need it. You don't need it, and you, um, you probably you don't want it. Is it, does it, like, does it feel cohesive when you drive it? Yes. Actually, yes. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Is I, it motors at each wheel? Is it? Front, front two wheels. Uh-huh. And then one, uh, and then a third motor inside the gearbox, or in between the, the engine difference. and the gearbox. Oh. And so it's, um, it was Fun very nice. impressive in the integration. I mean, really, it was a very slick system. Okay. And it was neat when you were driving in full EV, because in full EV, it still made like 210 horsepower or something, and it was front-wheel drive. Weird. So in full EV, you're driving a, a front-wheel drive Ferrari. million-dollar Honda Civic. Yeah, what you're driving. <laughs> which is mildly interesting. On the other hand, it's not – I mean, on, on a track, I'm sure it is. But on a Canyon, it's not significantly faster than a 488. Wow. I mean, in a 488, it's that's a fucking fast car, isn't mm-hmm. it? So it, it adding 300 horsepower to that car – isn't what's going to make you go faster. Right. You know what I mean? It's going to be, it's just, that's not what's slowing you down in the canyons. It's also adding a a bunch more weight, which which you can feel. Okay. And it's not particularly interesting. It's not, it's not that much more interesting to drive than the other cars Mm -hmm. that they make. Um, and it, it, it's one of the least interesting 1,000-horsepower driving experiences you'll ever have, compared to a 765 LT, which has no electric motors and has less power, but is fucking terrifying yeah. you know, in its delivery and just as exciting as, as cars get for, for less money. So okay. if I wanted to be that level of extreme, I would go with a 765 LT. And if I wanted to spend a million dollars on a Ferrari, I'd be looking for F40s. Yeah, you know, or yeah. or something, uh, something at that at that level. Interesting. You know, you're not so, getting an F40 for under a million dollars, but but like, we're, and we're in rarefied air here. But if you were at SF90 prices, I, I wouldn't. That's be, not where your 900k not would I'd go. Be, or no, I'd be going to Singer or Gunther Oof. Works, yeah, or or one of those guys that would give me a properly engaging experience that was the fizz. All right. So, do they have anyone? Like, does Ferrari on their design board have anyone who's, like, kind of, like, coming from your perspective of, like, these, like, performance, like, on paper, adding horsepower and yeah. hybridizing and car and stuff doesn't always translate into a more engaging driving experience. Are they doing it merely because of this arms race of, like... Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but... They want to win. Okay. Well, it's an easily... It's really easy to prevent to a new or present to a, an existing customer who walks in like, "Hey, I have the old Ferrari. What do you have now?" And they go, "Well, the new one has a thousand horsepower," and the customer's like, "Well, wow, my other one has seven hundred twenty horsepower right. or four four fifty or whatever it is." So I think all the companies can go, "Well, I have a thousand. You know, and the McLaren only has 
906 or whatever it is, and, and whoever can have the bigger number, there's a lot of customers that buy cars like that. I mean, we've seen, I'm sure we've all seen people on the internet that comment and they go, well, the other one is a little faster to 60. It's like, yeah, in the hands of the magazine who like destroys the transmission to get that, <laughs> that time, sure. But if you just put them all like in a row and you drove each one, they're probably about the same speed. You know, So it's more like which one, what company do you like? Do you like the sound? Do you like the way it looks inside? Do you like the design of it? Yeah. But I think, yeah, there's a lot of people that just want the newest, fastest thing. And for companies, it's a lot easier to add power and speed to what is really an existing formula than it is to like add way more grip or like reduce it, or, weight or, or reduce weight, or somehow like improve engagement. You know, yeah. without yeah. you know, nobody wants the the not nobody, but it's it, Porsche is interesting because the most desirable car they make, the GT3, mm-hmm. is not the fastest car they mm-hmm. make. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's an interesting dynamic that. I would hope other companies would look at and go, this is a, that formula is working over, you know, yeah. um, but it doesn't seem like that's happening. And I feel like they spent, they spent decades building that market right. and then, and the market going to them. And so they're really lucky to have that. Yeah. That's the part that is kind of interesting because the abstraction that is a brand is a very interesting, like being a, you know, having this guitar company, like we wanted to create something aspirational. Mm-hmm. So there's like, on paper, you, you know, your guitar can have similar specs to a different guitar. So then you enter this realm of like psychologically, like, why would someone spend more on this or whatever? And some of it's down to design, but some of it's down to like actually creating a brand. Yeah. And I think Porsche and Ferrari have done a really good job. I mean, Ferrari is like one of the strongest brands on the planet. Yeah. Ferrari makes more money selling clothes than they make selling fucking cars. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Their licensing business is worth more than their car business. That. Yeah. But so it's kind of like a brand permission thing. Does Ferrari have the Porsche could make 500 horsepower GT3s all day long, but Ferrari can't put out a 500 horsepower car. I think they probably think they can't. I I think (laughs) that's a better answer. I think they probably think they can't. I think if they tried to, they might have a different experience than if they made a really great looking, beautifully sexy. 500 horsepower car with a gated a manual gated transmission manual. lightweight i think they'd probably sell a lot more than you than they think they Dude, would i think you're so right you know? and they're taking design cues from the past like with the t6 yeah. gtb and sure. stuff like that but it isn't like it's just an aesthetic cue it isn't like the car feel like i mean i haven't driven it but imagine no, it's what, not i mean i have a 328 you know and yeah. it, the new ones don't drive like that <laughs> <laughs> we're never gonna get that but but I mean, you can trace the the styling from the Dino, uh-huh. you know, the 1969, 70 Dino through the 80s cars, and then they kind of went away from it, and then it went a little back to the Dino with the 488. Mm-hmm. Now where they've got their side scoops, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's got some of those elements of of Dino styling, and the 296 I think has even more of that. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I don't know their exact business, but I think there's an opportunity for them to come in under what they're doing with SF90 and the 296. And um, although 296 is clearly a reference to the 206 and 246 Dino's mm-hmm. range, mm-hmm. Um, you know, to come in with a manual transmission car and, 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 and do that. I, what I don't know is if the regulations you know, in Europe um, will allow them to, to build that car if they're capable of building that car and having it pass all the, the EPA and all the right, stuff that it right. needs to do. You know, Porsche, 
I think can only sell GT3s because they've got pure electric and a lot of hybrid stuff in their lineup. You know, hybrid Cayennes okay. and hybrid Panameras and the Taycan. Um, I think those credits offset, offset the GT3 pretty heavily. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. They probably have to. They probably have to take some hits in other in ways order to, in order to continue selling the GT3. Otherwise, we'll have the Ferrari Signet. You know, <laughs> like Aston had that. <laughs> yeah. Aston had that smart car. Remember you that? See that? No, was it? Was it the smart Aston or the, I, the the Scion, the IQ? Oh, it was based on the Scion, right? Yeah, Aston Martin had to sell a hatchback. Really? Yeah, yeah. This oh, thing. Oh wow! It is that Aston. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was the the Toyota IQ collab with Aston and they had to build and sell some of these fucking things. Just really? had to do it just to So like, they could keep making V12s and a V12s. They need to offset <laughs> this little shitbox. This, this is why I think uh, a lot of the supercar companies are applying for some sort of exemption in Europe for their emissions because they're like we're small manufacturers do we have to adhere to these averages because we sell so few cars and they're like, you know, and, and look, we make amazing, beautiful things that scream. So yeah. we'll see if that happens. Yeah. I think they should be allowed. I think if you, I think if you make, you know, under, under 5,000 cars a year or something, you know, you should be allowed certain exemptions. There's yeah, a strong agree. argument for that. Yeah. It'd be easy to, also the class of car, like you could even look at average miles driven yeah. in a year of, I mean, it's so below. Yeah. Compared just, to you know all, you know super duty trucks, you know yeah, running right. hundred thousand miles a year yeah. and getting a fucking chicken tax, you know I, I'm gonna have to buy a a shop truck in the next year. Why? Uh, because I have a second building that I'm building, and so I need something to pull a small trailer to shuttle cars back and forth. Oh, right. But and I don't want to buy more than I need. Right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna buy like either an F-150 or a Silverado or like whatever something that will just do some basic towing. Mm -hmm. Except as a business, I can actually save money on taxes by buying a bigger, heavier truck right. by buying more than I need. Like right. it sucks that like buying something more wasteful, more polluting, taking up more space <laughs> can somehow save me money on well, taxes. <laughs> It's it's so obtuse, but like, so they're like, we'll produce more of these little hybrid cars as just like this obligation to sell your V12s, right? But all the rare metals that go into that battery yeah. and just like, so they're actually not there isn't a net benefit oh, to the environment point. to make Aston build these. I know. Cars. You I can't know. sell hundred cars; you have to sell two hundred now, right? So you're gonna build <laughs> twice yeah. as many. That's like yeah. the it's like the game Tesla's game of of the points thing. Like, it, 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 I thought. Like, you know, Ubers and sh the sharing economy and EVs, it should be less, like, less total miles driven should be good. But, like, if you're gaming this system by just lapping the block six times, <laughs> like, oh, by driving an extra 10 miles, you're somehow doing better. Like, oh, that's not good. I mean, dude, I think that's a taste, because we're, algorithms are, like, just entering all these spaces of decision making. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, they're kind of, like, clumsy. Yeah, mm -hmm. and humans are just gonna we're gonna game when we can. Well, it's, we we learn things different ways. Algorithms can't take the lay of the land. They right. can only process based on what they've been specifically told about very specific things. You know, and it's hard to predict all the various yeah. ways people. So it's just like it's just funny to me that like you're getting points for this r ridiculous behavior totally. in these cars. 
Can I talk about your guitars again, though, for a minute? Yeah, sure, sure. Because they're so cool. They look so different. Thanks, man. Um, they yeah, have they have fanned out frets. Yeah. Um, the only person I've ever seen play a guitar like this besides you was Charlie Hunter. Oh, dude, yeah. Um, who yeah. I saw play when I was in college, and I was like fucking super mind blown with what his fingers were doing. Yeah. Wait, do you play guitar? Badly. Okay. I do not. I'm not good, but I I can I can noodle a little bit. Okay. Cool. Um. But I, but something. you put me with a give me a guitar that has more than six strings. I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Um. Or yeah. less than six strings for that matter. Yeah. But um. So you're you know obviously you started playing on regular guitars. Yeah. And at what point did you decide that 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 six strings was not enough? <laughs> <laughs> when I saw Limp Biscuit for the first time. Oh, with the seven no. string. Yeah. Like low key. Like. The new metal movement, a lot of those guys were down tuning or using seven strings, uh-huh. and I was at the right age, so Deftones and like Corn and stuff like that. Um, I thought that music was cool, and they were using seven strings. But there was also other dudes like John Petrucci from mm-hmm. from Dream Theater and Steve Vai, and they were like shredders, and they were using extra strings. And I, um, I love the heavy music, but I also love the like sort of like shred guitar stuff. And so it was just like a really cool, what actually really concreted is a friend of mine had a seven string and I got on it and I, I like kind of instantly like was writing more riffs. Something about that extra string just like. It's, it's always a low string, right? The extra yeah, string's always low strings? They it are, is. Right? Okay. You could add a higher string, but it's kind of tricky. Because you'd you, need like a tiny, thin, yeah. very breakable Very breakable, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So moral of the story is. I think I was just open-minded to it. Some of the bands I liked were using it, and then also I had an experience where I got on one, and it was, um, it was like I kind of had a burst of creativity. So I just kind of like rolled with it, um, and it became more and more popular too. Like that whole new metal wave, there was like quite a bit of seven-string usage, but then it kind of like waned a bit but at that point it didn't really matter if it was popular or not I had decided that it worked really well it was well just for your thing yeah and there's some there's actually some advantages to it like just with chord voicings and scales like it actually facilitates certain things like if you want to do a crazy like three octave you know scale in one position having as that opposed extra, to having to go back exactly and like back to the beginning of the neck or whatever you exactly. can just go all the way down yeah you actually yeah so um, they're and really cool looking guitars. I mean, thanks. they just like they don't look like anything else on the market. I've never really seen anything like it. Yeah, I tried to. Okay, so guitars are interesting because, I mean, there's obviously a lot of wacky stuff on this on this page, but what people will buy is is pretty parametized within what is like traditionally acceptable. Mm-hmm. So you have your Gibson style and your Fenders, your double cut, all this stuff, but like. To make a new shape and have people adopt it is actually really tricky. I imagine because like yeah. even like brands like you know like uh, like if you look at PRS uh, mm-hmm. making like John Mayer's guitar, like mm-hmm. they basically made a PRS Stratocaster, yeah. like pretty much. Yeah, and it's got you know a unique a pickup setup and whatever, but it pretty much looks like a Stratocaster with a PRS headstock on it. And like other companies make like their version of a Les Paul double cut, more or less, or, or a 335 double cut. Yeah. And there's a bunch of them. And like well, funky shaped guitars are like few and far between. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I think a lot of players choose their guitars because they're inspired by some guitar, whether right. they're a Clapton fan or whatever. And so they want something that looks like that. And so if you have something that, design-wise completely departs from what inspired them to get into it, 
it doesn't always work out. Do the designs um, of your bodies, other than looking different, um, have a, a specific function? Yeah, actually, all throughout. So, like, um, you mentioned the fan fret thing. Yeah. It's a way of combining a longer scale na- scale length and a shorter scale length on the same neck. Uh-huh. So the distance between the lowest strings is further than the distance between the, the, the treble strings. And what's the math of that? It's a rate like so. It's like twenty five and a half in the treble, and then twenty seven, I think, and a half in the. We it might be like twenty seven point three two or something. But um, you, yeah, you work it out to um, I think, you know, temperamentally, you want a certain amount of tension on each string that's like optimum, and that increase in length gives you more tension. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, depending on the pitch of the string. Oh. So, um, so these guitars go as low as a bass, so the the length of that string needs to creep towards what the length of a bass string would be. Oh, yeah, right, because a bass neck would be longer anyway. Exactly. Yeah, because like when Charlie Hunter was doing it, when I saw it, he was playing bass lines and guitar lines at the same time. Yes. That was like his shtick. It was fucking crazy to watch. Dude. <laughs> that guy is running on all cylinders when he's playing. Yeah, no, it's, it's improvising wild. a bass line and a lead at the same, it's like it's really crazy. But can you play like? Can I play like a power chord on that yes. guitar? Yes, it's tuned normal. Yeah, that's the thing. So the, you were talking like, okay, so does design have more to do with anything other than aesthetics? And what I wanted was to, if a guy like you who primarily plays six strings got on this guitar, it wouldn't feel like you were like wrestling a surfboard. Okay, yeah. So like, I narrowed the neck a little bit, and that compound rate, that compact um, compound scale length allows for like say you're doing some blues licks in the treble it would feel like a six string uh-huh. as far as the amount of tension on the strings um and then narrowing the string spacing a bit allows it to be a bit more manageable like physically in your hand and then so that upper bout um like the neck is shoved pretty deeply into the body of the yeah, guitar yeah yeah like you can't really get to the neck from the top and the in the highest frets it's all from underneath yeah so if, if if you see the back it's actually pretty sculpted for your thumb but you can't really do like a wraparound thing but right setting the neck that far into the body allows oh, there's for the um, sculpt yeah cool yeah so this is our bolt-on version we have one that's glued and it's actually even more um seamless but this this gets the point across but more of the story is having the neck that deep into the the body allows for the overall width of the guitar like the span of it to feel a little bit more mm-hmm. um and so I just wanted like this sort of ergonomic, like this thing that felt smaller than it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like and a then, music man kind of thing. Yeah. Music man. They're really into ergonomics actually. Yeah. Like, um, so that was kind I, of, I knew more about guitars when I played a lot than I had any right, like my, than my like skill. Like you're that kind of guy. Though. Well, no, when I was in college, I used to sell mad drugs, like weed and mushrooms. <laughs> like I did. I was like, really? the, I was like the Don of my school and it was a very unique situation. I went to the university of Pennsylvania and they had a, they had a really large private police force that really made sure that if students got caught doing something that was like a felony, that it wouldn't, you'd never get in trouble. It was never like, they were protecting the, protect, oh, they had an internal, we were, were good kids. They didn't want to ruin our lives. Uh, it was really, it was incredibly shady. On uh, in hindsight, it I'm was like surprised. really uh, bumper bowling for the the privileged who went there. Yeah. But I got a lot of money and I spent all of it at Guitar Center. Sick. And so yeah, I had like a dozen guitars. I had a whole fucking wall of guitars in college. So I would go to Guitar Center with stacks of cash and just play with all this shit That's and awesome. buy a bunch of it. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely <laughs> absurd. But I learned a lot about guitars. More so than I learned about playing. Playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I think, 
you have a particular type of intelligence that like kind of gravitates towards these technical totally things. yeah totally <laughs> like, I actually think it's cool you're not alone actually there's a because even without like being the world's best guitar player it's still rewarding to like understand how they work yeah. and to like and I liked the difference like, and I played I played in like a cover band like in college and the guy who played lead was like a fucking virtuoso mm-hmm. and and me owning all these guitars allowed us as a band, you know, I would just play some rhythm chords and shit, and he could produce all the the sounds that the that we were covering because I had every fucking instrument. Yeah. So he, we would bring the whole rack, and he, you know, he'd go from Zeppelin to yeah, one of those Pearl local Jam bands or whatever. Show up and you're like, what? yeah, with a <laughs> back the yeah. tr- back the truck up. All right, which yeah. one of these guys sells weed? We're gonna yeah. fucking find him after the show. Yeah. Hi, sure. John Guitar Center. My dad is Steve Guitar Center. <laughs> yeah. So do you still yeah. play like I just fuck around with my acoustic on my couch. I don't I don't play much. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's but cool. but I enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy, I, enjoy, I when I was doing it a lot, uh-huh. I really enjoyed it. Playing in a, in a band was really fun. It is really fun. fun. Yeah. Making music is cool. Yeah. It's like Kind of like magic a little bit. Yeah. Like when you figure out how to play a song for the first time, you're like, oh my God, that sounds like a song. Yeah. I can't believe I'm doing that. And YouTube makes it a lot easier. I did not have YouTube at the time. Yeah. YouTube makes it, because like if you can't read music or you can't read tab or you don't have someone to show you, mm-hmm. just have someone going, your fingers do this. Oh, it's crazy. It's like, and it's like a world of difference. Yeah, yeah. We probably were right before the high speed internet right. thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I did think you learn was, how did you learn mainly? Self taught mainly. But dude, like when I was a beginner, things that were popular were super easy to play, like mm-hmm. Nirvana and <laughs> yeah. freaking like it wasn't that hard. Right. Um and then you could get your guitar player magazine and like you said you could read tabs. Or if you could if you could pick stuff up by ear, that was kind of the other way. If you could pick stuff up by ear, you you have a talent. I mean that's yes. you know that's 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 actual you know, playing by ear is an actual talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I could I could play by ear, but you're not really learning concepts directly. If you're you're just kind of you're emulating something, but you don't know if the guy's doing a tritone substitution of a minor two five one or something like that. Which you know, I, you lost me there. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the <laughs> you, thing. I, you lost me after the guy's doing up. I didn't, I didn't understand <laughs> yeah. any of that. So, moral of the story is, I actually ended up having the. I went to a music school for a year and. Um, in Atlanta, the Atlanta Institute of Music, mm. and that's where I learned some theory and stuff like that. Um, but primarily self-taught, and I think I was fortunate because I wanted to write a lot of my own stuff, and it's not like I wanted to like be in the recording studio playing some other artist's music, and so I needed to learn how to sight read really well and mm. be good at country and jazz, and like I wasn't concerned with that. I just wanted to learn to manipulate the instrument and then be able to write my own stuff. So you went from Nirvana to new metal to what, like Steve Vai and John Petrucci kind yeah, of stuff. And yeah, Paul Gilbert, all the, because it's the virtuosos. Yeah, I think seeing a human do, I and mean, it's like why we have the Olympics, right? right. It's like this guy's insane to this thing, or you insert average, you know, any race yeah. car driver. Yeah. Um, For me, it was like watching Les Claypool play bass. I was yeah. Like, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah. And singing. Like yeah. what? Let's, yeah. Like his hands moving. Like his hands are doing some real weird shit up there. I can't really tell based on the sound that's coming out. And like Tom Morello, like, yeah. what, what sound is he making? What exactly. the fuck is that? 
Yeah, it's like inspiring. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to be like one of those dudes who you yeah. could just say and then people be like, oh, that's crazy. That guy does this type of. You definitely are. I got, I've, I've gotten there. Yeah. yeah. No, your fingers cool. do crazy shit. Yeah. It's like the sound that comes out is like, what the fuck is this? This is fucking wild. <laughs> it's funny. I'm like stealing so much from players who have come before, but then you can like kind of filter it and re-articulate it in a new way. Yeah, I mean, so I every, really but everybody does much. that. I mean, that's that's what fucking, that's what music is. I mean, if you watched, um, I what was the, oh, I just watched, um, God damn it. Oh, um, the documentary about uh, drumming. It's mm. called, God damn it. I'm going to think of it right after the show ends. It's a documentary about drumming. And it's uh, it's got Chad Smith, and it's got the dude from Jane's Addiction, and it's got, and they talk about, um, uh, not art of, what is it? Uh, Count Me In. It's called Count Me In. It's on mm. Netflix. And, and you know, one guy is disturbingly honest <laughs> about how, how the English, he was like, yeah, so, uh, so we stole it from the black jazz drummers, and then the Americans stole it from us, and then we stole it back from the Americans, and then, you know, and he was like, yeah. and that's just how it is, you know? Imagine that Wikipedia like, page. It's yeah. just like <laughs> straightforward. Keith Richards, like the first two chapters of his book are just like, uh, we were really good friends with blues players in America when we first toured when we were like 18, and we stole a lot of their shit. Yeah. You know? And you can you can hear it. Yeah. And it's yeah. I mean, we'll call it cultural exchange, you know, but that that stuff does happen. And mm -hmm. I think ultimately it ends up for I mean, it expose it can expose maybe a folk style of music to way more people or it evolves it to being, you know, that next step in evolution from where, where it was. So I don't I don't always think it's a bad thing, especially if, if they end up crediting like the sources. Mm -hmm. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? But Show your work. Like, but it's yeah. hard if you're if you're a musician and you're listening to other people play and you're like, that's really cool. Like like you're saying, you get inspired because you don't know how to you may not know how to create a new sound yet. So mm -hmm. you're just a sponge learning from everyone you, you watch and hear, and then it just it influences you. Same with writing movies or TV or anything else, right? Like if you're an artist, you're gonna you have to learn somewhere. Yeah. And like none of us are in a vacuum and like all of this stuff is like it's just transacting between us all the time, whether we know it or not. I mean, there's so much, like, I mean, even, I don't know. I think whether it's food, fashion, music. Cars. Cars. Except Christian von Koenigsegg. He designs cars as if there was no other cars. He's never driven That's another true. car. Well, you, <laughs> you get these outliers. But he'll probably spawn some people who try to engineer cars in a similar uh -huh. way. Have you driven a Koenigsegg? Yes. It's so ridiculous. Because they have that whole the torque converter and there's no... I haven't like, driven the, the Jesco that ha, or Yesco that has no gearbox. Okay. That's, I thought all of them were like that. No, no, no. Uh, their, their original cars, the CCX and CCXR, had manual gearboxes. Okay. And my homie just bought a CCX and wow. he said I can come have a go, but I have to go on the East Coast to do it. You got to do a... a I got I to fucking <laughs> drive it. But where do you even... Where do you fucking drive one of those things? I mean, you need a runway. I went to... I drove the Agera R, which has paddle shifters and... Uh -huh. 1300 something horsepower and I drove it on a runway in Sweden and it was pretty life-changing wow. in terms of um, not just the speed but you know what they told me to do was to get it up to 200 miles an hour take my hands off the wheel and stand on the brake pedal and I did and the car stayed perfectly straight and came to a perfectly controlled stop 
From 200? From 200. And that was fucking nuts. I don't know that I could have done that, even if asked. There's the runway. And that, in fact, that photo might have been taken on the very day I was there. It, it looks like a photo that was taken the very day in, in Sweden. And you see all these skid marks here. Yeah. That's because when you get to the end of the runway, they tell you to turn traction control off and drift back the other way. And you could do a very nice, easy U-turn drift with traction control off in them. 1,300 um, horsepower. Yeah, it's not a problem. But what I really like about that is not just the power, it's this wraparound windshield ah. that has all basically no A-pillar. I mean, it has an A-pillar, but it's way, way back here. Mm -hmm. And so you really have a fighter jet-like uh, experience. Huh. And it doesn't sound like a regular car. Yeah. It sounds like just this volume of air that's moving it it's it's pretty crazy and it's it's they were shifting very aggressively the the gearboxes were pretty gnarly to hold that much power at that much time now they're hybrid stuff i haven't gotten to sample so i don't really i'm sure it's amazing and crazy but um the secret is you have to go to sweden there because the pre there's no press cars here but if you like are kind of a little bit of a somebody and yeah. you go to sweden you can drive on the runway it's like a thing oh yeah yeah and i recommend that Engelholm rules. Engelholm. Next time you're touring in Stockholm, definitely detour to Engelholm. It's worth your time. They'll just let it, just I can just not anybody, <laughs> but you're a somebody. They will let they will let a somebody have a go. Damn. Yeah, yeah. They're really, really, really nuts. And um and the new shit is even crazier. That Gamera yeah. thing, the sedans. Force, force, force sick. Yeah. It is a great looking car. It's so, so sick. They do represent kind of I think um, they're pushing the envelope quite a bit. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and they're it's uh, you know they're not cheap. They're yeah. They're three to five million dollars and are they that much? mega cars? They're calling mega cars. Mega GT. And that looks very thing. good. The Gamera looks awesome, and the Yesco looks awesome too. I mean, they're just they're just ridiculous. That's just Fantastic. one of the best looking Look. things I've ever seen. Uh, I would agree. It really is. I would agree. Yeah. How does so when you made your guitars? How much of the shape of them was influenced by just what you wanted them, to, how you wanted them to function, or was it also like, once you figure out, okay, well, I want them to be, you know, this kind of string and all the stuff, did you then get to play around with the actual shape of it, just from an aesthetic point of view? That's a good question. Um, the primary shape was informed by, yeah, like how I wanted to interface with it. Like, there's this cutaway at the back of the guitar, which allows you to sit, sit it in between your legs. Mm. As, as opposed, opposed to, to on on this leg? Yeah, yeah. So there's that. And then I wanted a single cut just because you, you could shove the neck deep into the guitar and you could have, you know, with our glue, with our deep, our glue joint, you have the, the neck and the body are actually connected on part of the neck. So uh, the transfer of, of resonance through the guitar is They a bit sound different, right? The, it just, the glued. It's an... They... <laughs> I don't think if you blindfolded me, I could I could tell you, but it's one of those things yeah, where yeah. like objectively you could say there's a larger contact patch between the neck and the, and yeah, the yeah. body. Um, but then beyond good metaphor. that, yeah, good metaphor. I like that. Yeah, I, I, I understood what you meant on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but beyond that, I did want it to look like slick and, and very modern. So I had a really crappy line drawing of it, and then um, I had a guy like kind of refine it. And he, he kind of, that continuous arc you see from the neck to the back, you know, stuff like that where you kind of, you can clean it up mm -hmm. if you get like a design guy on it yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but does it look, but does it, when you got first got one and played it, were you like, oh yeah, this is my jam? Actually, yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I should have brought one. I didn't realize like you played guitar 
but it's okay. Another time. Yeah. I, I would love to. I'd love to try one. I've never tried anything that's not just a regular old six, or a six string or twelve string. Um, okay. But did you see Misha gave me an extra? I saw. Yeah, yeah. You, you can nice you can one put too. one opposite the TV. He yeah. was literally like, I have like so many of these things. Like, you just got, take one. You got the. That's a good one. Yeah. It's that's a really nice a guitar. Nice one. I, I have taken that off the wall and noodled on it a couple of times. As you it, should. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful piece. I'll get you one. You can hang it next to Fuck it. Fuck yeah. yeah. Hang yeah. it on top of it. You got to go over. We'll yeah, go over. just hang it in front. <laughs> <laughs> No, but um, that must have been so satisfying when you picked it up and played it, and you were like, "Yes, this is it." It is, man. I mean, similar to a project like this entire building, it's like if you're doing something, it's kind of unique and it's kind of a dream. When you actually like make it happen and you interact with it, there can be a level of like, "Whoa, this is was literally in my brain at one point, and now it's a physical object." Yeah. And then if it actually meets that expectation or exceeds it, it's it's that much better. Yeah. So we do find that people get these and they're like, oh, this is the easiest, you know, seven or eight string I've ever played. Like, we really try to make them all lightweight and just we, we set them up like. They're, are they wood or are they composite? They're, they're wood, wood right? yeah, yeah, they're still wood. No one's really innovated an alternative material to wood that A, guitar players will readily, like, mm. adopt and B, outcompetes wood sonically. Sure. I've seen like the rain song acoustics. Yeah, and I, wasn't the Parker Fly made of something composite? They were doing carbon. I think they were doing. Uh, they like might a have carbon had carbon or something, there? right? Yeah, yeah. Seek this. The guy from CKY back in the day was Did playing play a Parker one? Fly. Yeah, the yeah. The Parkers are cool. They're so. They were it's so. It's a neat cool. guitar. Yeah, they, so, I remember them being really thin. There's yes. a really thin body. Yes. Yeah. Same with these. So yeah, this is a. This is. Oh. So like things like the Parker inspired us as well as like. Companies like McLaren, like anything where like, design-wise, you're like, I know what a car looks like. Look at this thing. And you're yeah. like, whoa, carbon fiber monocell, like blah, blah. Like I wanted the guitar equivalent of that. That's awesome. Yeah. And not That's just really aesthetically. Cool. Like when you get your hands on it, you're like. This feels different. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool, man. That's cool. Good for you. Thanks. Well, this, this, this one in the photo has straight frets. No, it's just the angle. Is it just the yeah. just the photo? Oh, it's, yeah. if you take a picture of it at the right angle with a wide angle. Uh, all right, yo, you know, I like that they all say sold out. That's good. <laughs> COVID things. All right, you see this? Ah, the top right. Um, the yellow guy. Or yeah, chartreuse. That color is from the BMW M3. Oh, is that Phoenix yellow? Oh, wow. Or Austin green. Is it yellow or green? It's a it's a mustardy green. Oh yeah, there's an M3 color. It's the that M3 is, color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sick. <laughs> I it's the E46. Color. I like it better on the guitar than I do on the car. There's, there's a lot of it on the car. There's a lot of it yeah. on the car. Yeah, but I, I remember seeing that car around town, being like, that would make a sick guitar color. It looks great so, as a guitar. So that's the first one, like the first one we had prototype. We painted that color. What do these things uh, retail for? Uh, this will run you. What's the range? I think this guitar will cost you around thirty-two hundred bucks okay. or something. So it's a high-end guitar. But it's not absurd. It's not obscene. Yeah. Well, we wanted to occupy a place in the market that was similar to something like Porsche or Ferrari yeah. or Rolex, where it's like volume isn't necessarily the name of the game. And it's obviously for people who are either passionate or have that aspirational, like they want a thing. And the level of like, Aesthetic design and like the actual performance of it, it sits apart from your average equivalent thing. More of the story is like, yeah, they're they're kind of pricey, but it's because we feel like they're worth it, and we wanted to create a we wanted to create a guitar that felt like special in the same way that if you get your first 
insert supercar or something like that, you feel like you're you've like achieved the thing. That's <laughs> you know good. I mean? No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, you're playing it on stage. You're yeah. playing it on your records, mm-hmm. and you know, it's not just a PRS Custom 24 with you know your color scheme and pickups. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not a variant of some regular production piece which is which is really cool yeah and really tricky yeah paul reese smith did an amazing thing i think with his brand especially at the time in which you know he was able to do it um where you could compete with the giants like fender and Mm -hmm. like if you're if you're pricing your your product you know comparably to these legacy brands you know um, it's kind of a hard thing to do, and so to engineer something that convinces people, yeah. like this is worth. I'd rather buy well, this McLaren with the with that twelve C. You know, in, exactly. in twenty ten, going up with the four five eight. You know, mm-hmm. they had to bring the they had to bring the goods. They had to, you know, and for the most part, they did. Mm-hmm. You know, that product definitely needed some refinement, uh, but uh, you know, on a on a racetrack or or even on the street, you know, when I drove a twelve C, I was like, motherfucker, this is like. This is something really fucking really crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was bananas. Perfect analogy, and I, and yeah. I think McLaren does represent that sort of relative newcomer who is now kind of like benchmarking some legacy brands. Right, where they're like oh, well, we better add seven, ten horsepower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it was, it, it, yeah. in twenty ten, yeah. it was Porsche turbos and the McLarens with the turbos, uh-huh. and everyone else went, well, we got to find some horsepower here because we are about to about to lose that war. Mm-hmm. You know. But so I these think, design arm races are, are pretty cool. Actually. Yeah, but dude, I I, I love um, you know seeing you with this product that's really really interesting and reflects your your personality and, mm. and your skill set. And I'm glad you're selling them. Like that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool, man. Like it's cool to put something out into the world. And when you make a musical instrument, you're making something so someone can make music on it. And guitars are really personal too. Like in a similar way, cars are. Like if you ever have a car you connect with, you can end up being a Porsche guy. Where yeah, like, These yeah. are this is what I drive. Yeah. Or you can have that one. You don't even have to connect with it. Your fucking dad could be driving that shit, and you're all of a sudden you're a Ford guy for life. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I really like that relationship. And so to have these guitars go out into the wild and have people be like, I mean, they've literally used like supercar comparisons like oh this is like the Ferrari of yeah. and I'm like that's they really do it with cl- watches all the time too. do they really yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about watches eventually because yeah, we can get there um, do we have any questions for specifically for Tosin or is that all general car shit all general car shit someone just says they saw you at their first concert concert with oh here Summer Slaughter. Summer Slaughter 2013 oh man that's a crazy like death metal festival I remember that one I if if I get a text we're going to have to end the show because Zach and I have a project that we're doing. We had to buy some cheap cars for. Okay. And at some point in the next 20 minutes, someone's going to show up with my cheap car. Oh, really? And if so, we can go go outside and check it out and cool. see what it is. But um, if we Just have let me know. anything we, uh, that is for Tosin specifically... Uh, oh, nice. Miguel, yes, we did have a guitar intro jingle. I forgot where we got it. Maybe Tosin could give us a riff. You want to give us a 20 seconds for our, our podcast intro? That works on that. Me and I make good price for you. If you and Misha, we, that would be the most like overkill for this <laughs> fucking show ever. We would totally do uh, it. But it would be great. I'm okay. Anyone listening, right go watch any YouTube video with Tosin playing because <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I, I just can't even. Your, all your fingers are doing a lot and they're all just, it's like 
It's like you're playing piano on the guitar. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, I, I just like. I don't know, man. Just like going fast. It's amazing. Kind That's of good for you, dude. Well, there's a headspace thing. I don't know if you guys experience this when you're driving, but I'm sure you do. That that flow state where mm-hmm. you're not like consciously aware. You're doing so much. Like yeah. you're measuring stopping distances. You're you're aware. Like all these, your brain is pressing, but the experience is actually kind of like sure. this other calming experience. almost. Yeah. Yeah. You know what happens to me when I'm when I'm driving back down the hill after having finished a video? No. That happens to me. So we go up the mountains, and I do the driving and talking bit, and okay, and yes, my hands and feet are doing a thing, and I'm talking about something completely different. And then after that, we do the drive-bys, where we set up cameras, and I go real quick for a short distance, Mm -hmm. and then I'm done. And I drive back the 30 miles back down the mountain. Mm-hmm. That drive, I'm going like 80% pace, and my brain is off in zen world, and it's just a flow, total flow. flow. That's it. It's exactly it. Yeah, because you'd be mobbing up Occasionally. There. Occasionally. But but like within reason, though. Totally yeah, within. you're good I'm not it. breaking traction. I'm not getting into ABS. I'm not cutting double yellows. I know I, I, have, a, I have a survival instinct. Yeah. I'm not trying to die. Yeah, it's like not trying to that mature canyon pace. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I move for cyclists. You know, the whole shit. <laughs> nah, it's cool. Yeah. But on a, you get in that zone on the guitar where you, your brain doesn't even really have to be there anymore? Yeah, I think it's the result of integrating things that at one point were like individual techniques you had to think about. Like, you know, so with driving, it's like breaking a straight line, like, or if you're learning to hill toe, or if you're any one of these things at a point was like you're consciously thinking about learning mm-hmm. how to do it. But then when once you like kind of learn it and you integrate it, the experience of doing it, you're not as like directly thinking about each component. Right, right. So the guitar. In the right setting, it, it has a similar sort of flow state. And I think I just rabbit hole on stuff like that, um, which, you know, I don't know why. There's a feedback loop that's really gratifying. Yeah. And you get better and better. So that's that's why with cars, I'm like, oh, wow, like to do this correctly, there's a lot of technique. And then eventually it feels like this sort of transcendent thing where you're you're not consciously thinking about it, but you're you're implementing all the stuff you worked on. And then there's this like you could always get better. It's thing. like stages of like when you get to here, it's like so satisfying. And then you get to your first solo and now I can do this thing and now yeah. I can do this thing. And like yeah. now I can play a Steve Vai song. And da, da, da. Exactly. When I first, you were right when you said like first time you play a song like all the way through. Uh-huh. Like the first time I played a song all the way through that was more than just like four chords. Yeah. Where it was like chords like and a riff. Yeah. It might have been like Jeremy or Alive. It was definitely Pearl Jam. Yeah. yeah but it yeah. was like, you know, something that was like picking and strumming right i was like ah yes it was it was incredibly satisfying yeah 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 and so there's another layer to it that reminds me of driving where it's like you have a tool to do it Mm -hmm. i mean call a car a tool or a guitar tool but it is the medium at which you that skill you have to interface with this object in order to get it done and there's there's design that goes into that, and there's like, are you like a pointy guitar guy, or are you like a classic guitar uh-huh. guy? And it's the same thing with cars. You have all this culture and personality kind of baked into like the cars you choose. Yeah. You know, like, I've never really owned an, like, you're not gonna see me in like a Challenger, you know what I mean? But like, but there are people who are like, no. You should try. Are they sick? Well, well they're 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 yeah. like an old one. Drive it old one. They're silly. I mean, like a Hellcat. It's yeah. just it's it'll make you laugh. 
it's not like good, but it'll, but it'll, but <laughs> it's, it's something. Yeah, it's worth a. It's an experience for sure. Well, bro, you know, the, ch- the challenger is. Uh, remember when Christian broke down a be- beautiful people? Yeah. So it's just like that's the whole thing. Like that is what I feel like driving a challenger Hellcat is because it's just you know it's loud. You know if you hit the hammer at any speed, it's probably gonna roast tires even if traction control's on, and it's kind of like a one note vehicle, but it's a real good note. Okay. Yeah. Like that's and that's what old muscle cars really feel like. Anything from the '60s. It's Damn. definitely it's like, like the "Got the Life" riff. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny. I mean, that helps actually, because yeah. it's like we're doing exactly this. Yeah, like, yeah. This is what you're. Yeah. Like when at the Woodstock '99 documentary, when when fucking they're trying to stop Fred Durst from inciting riots, he's like, "You know we're a limp biscuit, right? You know, like you hired us for this." We have exact- a song called "Break Stuff." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's single. It's why you call Woodstock '99. Damn. You see the documentary? No. It's wild. It's. It is, I, need to I recommend. I recommend it. It is fucking wild. Is it on Netflix? I think so, or HBO. It's on some kind of streaming, but it's fucking. What's it? Is it just called Woodstock '99? I can't remember. It's just called Woodstock '99. Peace, love, and rage. Oh my god. Yeah. This is I, when we still had MTV. I, uh, HBO documentary films. I really recommend recommend it because it is. Not only is it wild, the organizers of it have learned absolutely nothing. <laughs> Are they still out here booking festivals? They just learned. They're try, they were trying, and they they learned no lessons, and it was it was fucking wild. Yeah. I oh lord. That. Thanks for coming down, dude. Dude, this was a great show. I really enjoyed spending time with you. Yeah. We'll have to do some canyon driving. And, Let me uh, know. You get some cool cars. I'll help you. We are. Uh, what do we have? I got, next week. What I got that Aston. I got the uh, mm-hmm. the new Aston Vantage next week. G392. Um, if you want to go, you want to do some off-roading. I got the TRX and the the, the V8 Jeep. The I have no off-roading experience at all. You should oh. you should do some off-roading. Yeah. It's pretty I fun. Saw, <laughs> there's some. I, don't, I think you were. I forget what you were driving. And you like didn't think you would make this incline. Oh, the Baja 911. Yeah, yeah the off-road 911. Well, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I bet this incline is so much more steep. It was than so it looks narrow. Up, it know? wasn't, it's not, it was steep, but uh, it was narrow. And uh, this, this thing was really wide. And I was like, I'm going to rip both sides of this fucking car off. And we did not. I just. Poop came out a little bit. A little bit? A little bit. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the off-road thing is so out. I've never done it. And I'm just like, aren't you going to destroy the car? Like, my brain's going to. If the car's yeah. built right, you shouldn't. If you have some restraint, but you can, yeah, yeah, there's there's risk, there's okay. definitely risk, but it's but like, it's really fun. You should come along on TRX day. The, 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 Where do you guys? That's the Hellcat you? pickup truck. Yeah, <laughs> it's very uh, stupid. They, they stuck a Hellcat. They put engine. a Hellcat motor in a Ram. It's limp biscuit in a vehicle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they should get Fred Durst to do like some. I mean, his Instagram commercials? is just wagons. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, have you ever seen like slammed? It's a hundred percent pictures of station wagons. Wow. That's it's all funny. his Instagram is. There's no pictures of anything else but fucking station wagons. It's Why so am I not weird. Surprised? I don't know. Is Instagram back up? It is it back up? Is it back up? Oh, oh wow. Dad Two vibe. posts. I guess he That's wiped weird. his entire fucking for, Instagram. For a very long time, it was wall to wall. Like old station wagons. It's really you know? weird. Weird. So and not really modified. Just like there's one by a creek and there's one in a park. And like, yeah, very just strange. Okay. Really, really weird stuff. Interesting. Uh, I, I really appreciate you coming down. This was great fun. Yeah, it and, was good uh, meeting you guys. Absolutely. Watched so many freaking videos. And you're a great like... follow on Instagram. Just it's Tosin Abasi on Instagram. Uh, I wish we could show it, but Instagram is down. Can, unless you can. Can what you get it? What if it, it up? never comes back? I mean, the day Instagram went away. That would be. 
eh, would it be bad? I don't know. It might be good. It might be bad in the short term and good in the long term. I yeah. think. It yeah. well, you're, we can pull up the basics. I think, and yes, we can. There we are. Instagram might be back, um, but there's all these little fucking crazy clips of you doing wild shit with your guitars and it's, me it's, playing guitars. If and, you like uh, guitars, you might like my page. You might, yeah. And there's should, occasional car stuff. And if you've if you've already had all the regular guitars and you want you want to go something a little extra special, you should buy one of his guitars. We have the McLaren of car of guitars. What's the wait time on one? If you could get one now, is it, is well, we don't do a thing where you order and then wait for it. No, you just got to launch it and then they got to buy. We it. ship them like oftentimes same day. Oh wow, cool. But. Having them in stock has been just because of COVID things. Yeah, but we have a bunch like they're being like all like set up and dialed in. Cool. And so imminently, if you guys want guitars, it'll, it'll happen. Awesome. And yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, car shit. We're gonna we'll make sure that you always have the the right sports car. So if you get tired of this one, you come consult with us. I need your number. Us. And I'll be like, we'll bro. make sure to yeah yeah we'll handle that. Tell me the car. Thank you, everybody. We will be back <laughs> tomorrow. Um, with um, Andrew. Andrew Davidge, who is the founder and CEO of Vintage Electric. They make really fast e-bikes, really fucking fast ones. Damn. That'll be fun. And then uh, crew show, uh, end of the week. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Tosin for coming down. You're a fucking G. I love it. And uh, we'll see all you later. Bye. <laughs>